We're going to spend some time this morning in the passage that uh, George read for us. So we're going to be in Habakkuk. You can find that in your Bibles. I'll give you some extra time to find that in your Bibles. Those of you who uh, can find it quickly can help the person beside you find it too. Partly difficult to find because it's probably not a book you've spent a lot of time in. Um, And if you have, we should probably trade places. Um, as well, it's a little hard to find because it's short. It's only three chapters, uh, but a, an incredible book, really. Uh, and so I want to spend some time in it together today. Let me give you a little bit of context uh, for, for Habakkuk and for this, this uh, prophecy, for this book. Uh, Habakkuk was a prophet. We learned that very quickly uh, from the very first verse. It tells us that. Uh, one of the things to notice about Habakkuk is that in a time when there weren't too many uh, around who were very, uh, what the book of Habakkuk refers to as righteous, Habakkuk kind of falls into that category. This is a man of God, a man who is after God's own heart, uh, a man who's committed to that, has made decisions in his life to follow God, to lead in that way. And so we have in front of us here a righteous man. Uh, the book of Habakkuk was written in Judah, so a little bit of quick um, Old Testament history, in case you don't know this or how it kind of worked. After King David and King Solomon, the, the kingdom was split in two. And you had Israel to the north, which geographically made up most of the area, and then a smaller region in the south that was called Judah. And in Judah was like the city of Jerusalem. And that was where many kings... And so those two, once there's a divided kingdom, they, they war against each other like crazy. It's incredibly painful actually to read the story. Uh, but when Habakkuk writes... Habakkuk is writing from Judah, so he's in the southern kingdom. And when he's writing this, already the northern kingdom has been wiped out by Assyria. So the Assyrians have taken it out. There's no more Israel. And so Judah remains, but Judah is living under and experiencing much of what happened in Israel. So they watched that happen, but now they're also experiencing much of their own. And you you heard the passage that George read, Habakkuk's having a tough day. Things are not good. Experiencing persecution, uh, oppression, incredible suffering. Uh, This is the situation in which Habakkuk finds himself and finds his nation, finds the people of God. In the midst of that, then this uh, book is written, and it starts with this dialogue, a conversation between Habakkuk and God. And I don't know about you, but I've had a few conversations with God when life was not going well. Uh, sometimes when it's the hardest, we have some very honest conversations with God. I don't remember who I was talking to this week, but I was telling them a little bit about a season in my life where things went a different direction than I had expected. And I remember having some very honest conversations. Uh, to the point at which now, when I look back, I think, goodness, thank goodness, such a powerful God is so merciful that I talked to him like that. But how many of you, you know, those of you especially with children, know how that works? Your children don't necessarily, in those moments of great strife and the emotion of all that, edit their speech. They just let you know what, how they're feeling, right? And I think that's a bit of what starts to happen here for Habakkuk. In a very real way, he starts by asking what is known as his first complaint or his first question. I would sum it up in this. I think the first thing that Habakkuk asks is, how long? Ever asked that question? 
Ever asked that question when life was really hard? When things were against you in whatever shape that might take? Maybe some of you are there today. It's a common question. We see it all through the Psalms. It's asked many times. I think the people of God have often asked this question as they've wrestled with the hardship of life. How long? So he says there in Habakkuk 1 verse 2, How long shall I cry for help and you will not? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? How long? I think this question of how long is worth considering a little deeper too because we, we, we often ask questions like that, how long? But the reality is if we're honest, there's a whole bunch of other questions usually under it. We're asking how long, but in the midst or accompanying that question, we're also asking, can you not hear me? Where did you go? Do you care? Am I alone? Does it end like this? Do I just live in this forever? Right? all kind of summed up in this, Lord, how long? God responds to Habakkuk then, very quickly in, in the letter, uh, and he says to him, in light of his question, in response to his strife and his complaint, and let's not forget, like let's not trivialize his situation. He's in real suffering. In the same way that I wouldn't want to trivialize yours. As you sit and realize, no, I'm up against something very real here. And God steps in and says, Habakkuk, I would sum it up this way. Look and see. Wonder and be astounded. He comes down into the pain and the struggle and the waiting and the hardship of his situation and he says, Habakkuk, look and see. Wonder and be astounded. Come present to me for a moment. Open your eyes. Why? Why? It says in Habakkuk 1 verse 5, yes. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Thank goodness. In the midst of such strife, in the midst of such persecution and oppression, God steps in and says, Habakkuk, stay with me. Look and see. Wonder and be astounded. I am doing something right now the greatness of which you would not believe if I told you. Now, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of these spaces, that's really good news. Especially if we can even grab faith of a mustard seed to believe it. His hope starts to rise, but then right away God says to him, let me give you a little insight into the plan. I'm, I'm about to do something. Let me tell you what it is. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. And then he describes them right away. He sums up these Babylonians, these Chaldeans, as bitter and hasty nation. And then goes on, if you look through verses 6 to 11, if you're in your Bibles and as I'm speaking you want to kind of look at it, you can get a little bit of a picture of what this people is like. They are not good. Well, then Habakkuk asks a follow-up question. God comes in and says, How long, Lord? Hey, Habakkuk, open your eyes, look and see, wonder and be astounded. I'm doing something. I'm bringing the Babylonians. And Habakkuk, in essence, goes, Follow-up question. <laughs> and I would sum up the follow-up question this way. 
Why? <laughs> that just feels like pain on punishment. Like, why? To quote the scripture, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous? Just getting really honest with you. Part of what is the struggle for Habakkuk is he feels like as he watches the oppression, that the oppressor, that the one who is bringing the injustice is thriving. They've, remember, they've watched Assyria take out Israel, right? And now they're watching the Babylonians take out Assyria, but they keep coming, and God even says, heads up. And in his perception, as he looks at it, it makes sense to me. I, mean, I think if I'm in his shoes, in the moment, in the intensity of it, it would be hard to see anything else. And so the question becomes, why? Why, Lord, do you, are you doing this? And why? And he begins to connect to the why, his perception of what is happening. And if things are as Habakkuk sees, then that's a brilliant question. But God goes on to show him that potentially He's not seeing things as they really are. This question, why, is a good question. It makes a lot of sense. I'm sure some of you have asked it in hard spaces as well. But I would like to just throw in a little bit of what might be a bit of a rabbit trail, but I can hardly avoid it because for me, one of the great um, gifts in my life was a very difficult lesson that the Lord has taught me about how I ask questions. Questions like why can be asked with very different heart postures, with very different motivations. I can ask a question like, why, in the form of a challenge or an accusation. Why? Why did you do that? Why? My mind is made up. I have my, you know, in a sense, what I probably wanted to say was, how dare you? What were you thinking? Right? Um, what's your problem? But I, I, I don't want to because I feel like that's a little too cheeky, too long to know. So I say, why? Because it's asking a question. But the reality of it is the question too, though, that same, very same question can be a beautiful question when it comes from a heart of humility and is actually a question. Then it's just authentic. It's saying, God, why? The posture, though, is to say the humility allows us to ask the question with the presupposition that I actually am missing something. See the difference? Is it, so how we ask questions matters. And really what it comes down to is a matter of the heart. And I think what starts to happen for Habakkuk here is he might start with a bit of a, you know, prickly heart. But I think the Lord quickly shifts him to a posture of humility where he can hear. Into a place where his questions truly become questions. And he begins to submit them to the Lord in this posture that says, maybe God actually has some answers. Notice his perspective. Habakkuk 1 verse 13, kind of the last half of that verse. Habakkuk's perspective on what's happening is interesting. He, he is assuming, he has concluded that God is idle and silent. That God is sort of standing by in the place of injustice. That as he's experiencing and as his people are experiencing these incredibly hard season, his perspective is that God is just idly and silently standing by. Well, how did he come to that conclusion? Don't, don't jump on him too quick. I get it. 
It seems that way to him. His perception is informed by his experience. But in his humanity, he looks at it from his perspective and not from God's. And from his perspective, it, it, would, it would appear God is idle in some way. The other thing that's interesting about his perspective, I think, comes from the second half of that verse where he speaks of the man more righteous. Part of what's bugging him is, why, why are these evil men doing so well and us righteous men aren't? Now, all I'd like to say about this is, just as a side note, this is like really, really selective amnesia for Habakkuk. The reality of it is, the people of God in Israel and in Judah were given very clear direction. That if you walk in the way of God and you keep his way, it will go well for you. If you don't, it won't. But if you want to walk in, in, in the place with this place with God, you've got to walk with God, in the way of God. And if you read the, the story, like read Second Kings, read First Chronicles, they do not in a major way. I don't think there's a godly king in all of Israel history. And they're not just kind of bad. Like, unreal. Like, it's so almost incomprehensible after what they see God do. It seems like Habakkuk has sort of somehow forgot this. But, what, I mean, Habakkuk has made some decisions. He has chosen to come back to the Lord, to return to him, and there was promises connected to that as well. If you'll return to me, and then God many times would speak to, God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of restoration. He's a God. So Habakkuk now stands in that place. So we, fair enough. Habakkuk is coming and saying, listen, I have made these choices to follow you, trying to lead the people in that way, and this keeps happening. Habakkuk's perspective is met by God's response. And right at the end of Habakkuk's second question, there comes, I think, an important shift in his posture. And so if you look at Habakkuk 2, verse 1, it's sort of a transition between chapter 1 and 2. Here's what it says. This is Habakkuk speaking. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk, really, I think what happens here in this posture, his posture shifts as he takes God up on his first encouragement, which was to look and see, to wonder and be astounded. He makes a heart shift here and says, okay, perhaps God does have something to say to my Perhaps my perspective isn't the full picture. Perhaps God does want to say something to me in this place. And he comes and says, I will stand in my watch post. I will begin to look and see. To listen. To see what it is that God would say to me today. And I think when we're in trouble, when we're in suffering, when we're in those places, it's important for us to pray that God would come and help us to shift our posture. Where we have shut down or we have kind of like concluded things or where our perspective is driving the situation, it is a very good idea for us to come and surrender to the Lord and to ask for His perspective. 
I mean, worst case scenario, we already had the right perspective, and he just confirms it. But my guess is a lot of the time, he's going to speak, say, do things that bring us into a very different posture and situation, though our circumstances may not have changed. God responds then, as he shifts his posture and begins to listen, God speaks to Habakkuk, and this is why it's one of the minor prophets. Because now, having stopped and quieted his heart and looked and begin to see, he begins to be given a word from the Lord. And he begins to prophesy a prophecy that will, in about a hundred years, come to its fruition. He hears right from the Lord. He's now able to hear. And so let's look at it a little bit. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 says, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reaps it. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a place of suffering, when I'm in a place uh, where I would think of my heart in, like, as like downcast, where I, I feel really beat up or I feel oppressed, I don't think about my action. Right? It's knuckle-dragging. It's, yeah, he, George said chained. You know, I'm just stuck. God says, listen, I know the people are there. And so write this vision. Share it that those who hear it might run. In answer to Habakkuk's questions and in light of his change of posture, God answers with vision. Vision referring to a prophetic word that is about to be articulated. There's this change in perspective that starts to happen for Habakkuk because where often we are blinded by injustice and suffering, Often we are blinded by our struggles and our persecutions. We are struggle. We're blinded by, by the oppression that comes in our lives. We're blinded by the hardship. God comes and brings vision. God is in fact not idle, he says to Habakkuk. Let me give you vision. Where you see idle, understand something. I am very much at work. I am doing something in your day. I am not idle. I am doing something. <laughs> I'll share with you some of what it is, but before we even get there, just understand this. Your perception is wrong. In our suffering, when we are, when we are experiencing hardship, God is not idle. This is the vision that he gives to his people in this season. Secondly, the delay that God's people are experiencing. How, the, the how long stuff, right? The stuff that creates that question, this delay, one that's marked by deep and true suffering, it does not mean what they're tempted to think. The delay does not mean that God has exited stage left or forgot about it does not mean that God is not at work, that redemption isn't coming, that his promises were just a sham. Often in the face of suffering and injustice, we draw wrong conclusions about God. Buying into the lie of the enemy that seeks to tear us away from God when most were needing him. Friends, when you're in the hardest moments of your life, you've never stood at greater need of the God who created you. And the enemy doesn't play fair. It's in those very moments that he seeks to pull you away. 
And the devil does it the way he does most things. He lies. Your God is idle, silent. He's forgotten. So God, love his heart, just comes in with clarity and says, Put Habakkuk, write this vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run. Free from the lies that have skewed Habakkuk's perspective of this situation, Habakkuk is able to wait with faith. He moves from the place of despair, from from the place of confusion and and utter distress into a place of faith-filled waiting. And so the end of the passage that George read for us reminds us that the righteous shall live by faith. Life. Life is coming back to Habakkuk. And it's connected to his faith. His faith is being restored. To believe God's not idle. To believe that God does see them. That God is at work. That he does have plans, and those plans are unto their salvation. Unto their redemption. Psalm 37 I read from In the Midst of Worship today. It's also one of our lectionary passages for the day. And I want you to just do something with me for a moment this morning. I want you to imagine yourself right now in the place and time of Habakkuk. So you can even close your eyes if you want and put yourself in a you know, bed sheet with a rope or something. Whatever you need to do. I want you to imagine yourself in the place and time of Habakkuk. In some ways, put yourself in his shoes. And imagine that like Habakkuk, you have chosen to follow God. To place your trust in Him. And so you can consider yourself right now His people. A righteous people. Because your Father, because Yahweh declares you Imagine then the brutality of conquest. The oppression around you. The injustice that is touching your life and the people around you. The displacement that is happening as people are being exiled, moved about against their will. Imagine the loss and the grief of that that you've witnessed and experienced yourself, potentially even loved ones who you have lost. Injustice, brutality. And come present to recognize the pattern that Habakkuk has articulated where the wicked seem to be prospering all around you while the righteous are being destroyed. And now imagine that you open the Psalter. Psalm 37. 
right there in that place. And hear the words, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord. Do good, dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not, friends. The Psalter speaks this into our lives not only on the good days, not only in the days where that's where we wake up, where that's where we start, but I think especially in the days when our souls wake up fretting and where that term fret may even seem to hardly do it justice. Habakkuk hears from the Lord. He, he takes on board encouragements like Psalm 37, and he begins to see with a different posture. And so if you turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, near, in, in Habakkuk chapter 3, we hear a prayer that Habakkuk prays. And I think as we come towards a close here, this prayer can teach us a lot when we find ourselves in places of trouble when we find ourselves in places of injustice, both personally or collectively. I mean, this, this Friday, many of us took time to, to think about truth and reconciliation and to consider the journey and the history of our First Nations people in this country. Elaine is one of our Métis friends and sisters. And so we talk lots about these things. And we consider the injustice of our own nation. And, and this isn't just sort of a, a Habakkuk situation. These are real things. When we look at conflict in places like the Ukraine and Russia right now, uh, we, could, we could go on and on. I think there's a lesson here. Something to be desired. Something in me rises up and says, Lord, do in me what you did in Habakkuk that would allow me to pray like this. First of all, I think if you can read that prayer later, I don't have time right now. But as he prays, you can look at it now, read it later. See, I think one of the biggest things to note is, first of all, Habakkuk's prayer starts with a posture of humility. What I talked about before about that change in posture, it comes before the prayer. I don't think the prayer would have sounded the same if it hadn't happened. But because his posture shifts into a place of humility, into a place of surrender before the Lord, Habakkuk is allowed and, and brought by the Spirit into a place where he sees himself right. Um, many of you... We have a mutual friend, Chris Wright, 
Chris would always remind me and point out to me that his definition of humility, I think he's taken it from someone, but he, would, he taught it to me, is that humility really is about seeing yourself right. And so Habakkuk is seeing himself right. He's learned to see himself right in the midst of what's going on. Right? And you could, we could spend more time there, but we'll keep moving. Habakkuk then, out of that place of humility, prays with clarity. So where he was blinded by injustice, now I see a man praying with vision, with clarity about who God is. And so his prayer is a prayer marked by worship. You read that prayer, it's big. He begins to declare who God is. Worship becomes out. Adoration fills his prayers he ha- because of the clarity that's come to his blindness. He no longer uh, perceives an idle and silent God, but begins to see God as he is, and worship begins to flow out of Habakkuk. So this posture of humility brings clarity about who God is, which allows that prayer to be filled with worship. Thirdly, Habakkuk's prayer has clarity regarding what God has done and what he's doing right now. So you'll see in his prayer, he begins to remember the faithfulness of God. Friends, when you are in trouble, do not forget the God who has been with you along the way. And so his prayer is filled with two things, disciplines that are so important for us as the people of God. First of all, remembrance. This is part of why the Eucharist is such a gift to us, because it holds us in a place of remembrance. What God has done. It'll change your perspective on your current situation. But it also fills his life and his heart with thanksgiving. So remembrance begins to mark this prayer, as does thanksgiving. And he's able to give thanks because even here in this place, he can remember and know that God is present and he is doing something in this day. And fourthly, Habakkuk prays with clarity about who God is, clarity about what he's done and is doing, but with faith regarding what God has promised to do. His life is marked by promise. It's part of what was fueling the questions to start with. But having humbled himself and allowed God to come present to him and him to God, he is shifting into a place of faith. And so we have those famous verses in Habakkuk 2.4, that then get picked up throughout the New Testament. A man shall, a righteous man shall live by his faith. God is inviting us this morning then, as we shift our hearts and our attention to the Lord's table. He's, he's inviting us to a posture of humility, to see ourselves rightly, Today, right here, right now. And an invitation that would allow us, and I pray by the Spirit that as we come today to the table, and as we come into places of prayer together, that you, like Habakkuk, would be able to say, I will take my stand 
at my watch post and station myself on the tower and I will look out right here, right in this place, right in my, today, my, the reality of my circumstance, to look out and to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I will open my eyes and my ears and I pray for you, church, that you would have, by the Spirit, eyes to see and ears to hear. Friends, if you don't know or don't walk in a personal relationship with Jesus yet today, I would invite you to consider what it is to come into that relationship with Him today. To say, God, here I am. To like Habakkuk did, surrender your life and your heart to Him and to allow Him to begin to shape your perspective, especially in the places where you feel most and so acutely the need for help today. God would say to all of us this morning, look, see, wonder, be astounded. Are you in trouble? Do you feel the weight today of life? Relationally, physically, mentally? Do you feel the weight of injustice around us? Do you encounter struggles with addiction, homeless? Look and see. Wonder. Be astounded. For God is doing a work in our midst. A work so incredible you'd not believe it if he told you. Let me pray. God, right here, right now, I pray that you would come and you would meet your kids right where they are. Jesus, together as a church, we pray that right here and right now, in the honesty and reality of our situation, the joy and the sorrow, that we would be granted humility to see ourselves as we really are. That we would know the freedom that comes from an honest recognition of our inability to save ourselves, control our situation. That we would also know the life and the joy it is to come to understand that we are beloved by God, pursued relentlessly by Him. So, Father, grant us the clarity to see you as you are. Right here, right now, where our hearts cry out, How long? Where our questions of why and our wonders are overwhelming. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring clarity where our eyes have been blinded to see God here and now as He is. And clarity to see what God has done in our lives and what He is doing right now. Finally, Jesus, would you come and would you breathe life into us by way of faith? That we would have faith 
to believe today and to stand in an unshakable way in the promises of God for us.